Good morning. Today's gospel is from Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. As he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white, suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Word of God, word of life. Good morning. Grab a partner and get in the middle of the circle, our cheerful facilitator said. A few weeks ago, Pastor Beth and I were at a conference focused on leadership for pastors, and there were group exercises sprinkled throughout to help us get out of our heads and into our bodies. Imagine that. Now, she said, face your partner Close your eyes and hold their hands and memorize what your partner's hands feel like. What, I thought? How positively un-Minnesotan. I hardly know this gentle giant of a pastor from North Dakota. We all did, as we were told, of course, some feeling more awkward than others. I was in the really feeling awkward camp. And then the next direction came. Close your eyes, begin walking around, and try to find your partner again just by the feel of their hands. So there we were, a bunch of pastors, eyes closed, stumbling about with our hands outstretched. What could go wrong? Eventually, each one of us found our way back to our person, one way or another. Some squealed with laughter when they found their person. Others, like me, were just relieved to be done with that whole part. (laughs) One pastor, finally recognizing her partner's hands after an extended period of wandering, broke down in tears. It was a simple exercise, but one that spoke volumes about discomfort and anxiety and how the touch of another can bring us home again. Did you notice what Jesus did to bring his disciples back from a place of fear? 
It's such a simple detail that I almost missed it, but it has such great meaning. Peter, James, and John have been led up a high mountain by Jesus when they fall on the ground, overcome by fear. It's understandable, right? They have just witnessed a mystical vision. Jesus bathed in light, shining like the sun, standing among prophets that they recognize. How weird. And then there's God's voice thundering down from a cloud, identifying Jesus as God's beloved son. It's no wonder they collapse onto their knees. What is happening before them is so much bigger than they ever could have imagined when they signed up for this gig. Piece by piece, they're putting it all together, the things Jesus has told them about his life and his death. And now this revelation and vision that he is God's beloved son. Well, it's magnificent and it's overwhelming, and it's terrifying all at once. But in this Jesus moment of glory, his grand coming out party, the big reveal, take note of what Jesus does. He moves directly to the disciples who are afraid, and he touches them. This is the way that God chooses to be known in the world, not simply in brilliance or mystery or a voice bellowing down from the heavens, but as the human hand of Jesus laid upon a shoulder and the words, do not be afraid. I believe that this is why Jesus came, in order that we as people might finally recognize that God moves person by person with love and gentleness in the world. And so Jesus led this way through small moves with great impact, personal interactions, kindnesses, truth-telling, vulnerability, the building of relationships, touching hearts one person at a time with deep intention and great love. Notice on this day on the mountaintop, this day in which Jesus' glory is revealed, Jesus didn't market himself with a $20 million ad campaign. Sorry, Super Bowl fans or push for big crowds with bleacher seating, he invited three. He sought to have an impact on these three, Peter, James, and John. Sometimes in our dominant, productivity-obsessed culture we swim in, it's hard to think in terms of small, personal interactions. And that's why I love the humanity of Peter, who upon encountering the vision of Jesus shining like the sun, wants to get working. He wants to get going on his own blueprint. Why not construct some special houses to make his own mark on this awe-inspiring moment? But for whom? And for what? 
Jesus has other ideas about what lies ahead. Isn't it just like you and me? When we're anxious or frightened, we try to come up with one, with one big audacious plan for figuring everything out on our own and on our own timeline. I think Peter is a gem. And yet, what is Jesus teaching us by his actions today and his words? That we worship a God that is so vast and so magnificent and so unconventional that all that God hopes for us and has ever hoped for us can be communicated in something as ordinary as placing a hand on someone's shoulder. Just think about that. A hand on a shoulder can be as glorious and extraordinary as God's own touch. I've been here with you as your associate pastor for just over a year now. It's hard to believe it's gone by so fast. But I want to let you know that I see you, Mount Olivet. I see the way in which you are God's own touch. I see the way you get up during our conversation time or during the passing of the peace and find people who have never been here before or the ones who are here on their own. I see how based on a simple prompt about dinners in Epiphany, so many of you didn't even blink. You opened up your homes to break bread with old friends and new friends alike. I see the way you sit around small tables and have hard conversations about racial inequity and how you, how you try to see the world from another's perspective, even when it's hard. I see the way so many of you show up as guides for our kids week after week, year after year, to know them as if they are your own and to be part of their developing faith. Who does that anymore? I see that when it's time to directly serve people in our community with a hot meal or to place a bag of weekend food in the hands of kids, there are so many willing hands in this congregation, you pretty much have to edge someone out to get a slot to volunteer. I see you, Mount Olivet, your hands that lovingly tend a garden to provide nutrition to those who need it. What good is a garden in a world full of intractable problems, one might ask? Well, it's the touch of God, one carrot and one radish at a time. I see the way you wonder deeply about what God is up to in our midst and how we make space for the Spirit to lead us step by step. Small moves with great intention are part of the DNA of this congregation. So as we look into our future, remember that the glory of God has never been confined to mountaintops. It's never been confined to buildings or expansive grounds. 
It's never been confined to churches with the most membership or to highly structured programs. The Spirit has always moved as she wants to, inspiring and building upon small, prayerful, intentional interactions and relationships, person by person, partner by partner, community by community. As pastor and theologian Patrick Wilson writes, God comes to us in a crumb of bread, in a sip of wine, in just as much of God as a hand can hold. Your hand can hold the glory of God on a mountaintop. You have all you've ever needed to receive love and to be love in the world. Thanks be to Christ who makes it so. Amen.